today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's change the uh, the discussion from COVID-19 in the United States to, well, it's sort of the United States, the Keystone Pipeline, and just the energy industry in general. Uh, a new IPSO poll conducted exclusively for Global News uh, shows that, uh, that the majority of Canadians have given up hope on the future of the Keystone Pipeline. Let's bring in uh, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos. He is with us now. Daryl, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing fine, Scott. Hope you are, too. So the majority of uh, this was conducted for a Global News uh, saw 44% of respondents say they would rather see Canada focus on building infrastructure within its own borders to transport and refine Canadian oil and natural gas products uh, for international markets. Uh, that number rose by 12 points, 56% when looking from Alberta. Uh, 38% of respondents said Canada should focus on priorities other than getting its oil and gas uh, to international markets. Your thought on all of this? Yeah, well, it shows that Canadians have a pretty practical understanding of what's going on. I mean, you can only be rebuffed so many times. I mean, I guess with Obama and then with uh, and, and now with uh, the new President Biden, uh, that uh, uh, the United States has become an unreliable partner here. And so if you're supportive of oil and gas, uh, then you probably want to see something that takes place on our own territory. So that's uh, I think that that's being played back here. So the idea that we would somehow go back and try to uh, appeal to the, the, the new U.S. president and they, they, we, we get a different decision, people aren't necessarily believing that that's uh, the course of action for them. So is this about giving up on Keystone or giving up on the Canadian uh, oil and gas industry? Well, I think it's it's a it's a bit of both. Um, so uh, for people in uh, certain demographic groups in certain geographies, they don't really have any um, interest in the Canadian oil and gas industry. But the majority of Canadians do, actually. Um, and they see it as part of the recovery that we're going to be uh, uh, having to go through after we find a way to, uh, to combat COVID. So uh, of those people who are more aligned with uh, the need to export Canadian oil and gas, they are, are looking at infrastructure opportunities in the country. So building other types of facilities, pipelines particularly, as being the way to deal with this. So, you know, Trans Mountain, for example, is still going ahead. That's one of the, one of the options. But, um, uh, you know, there is a group of the population, um, particularly younger people, who are saying, look, well, I don't see oil and gas as being part of the future at all. And, uh, we really should be focusing on other types of priorities. This question is not settled in Canada. Um, the majority do support the future of the oil and gas industry, but that younger uh, cohort of the population, they're kind of going in another direction. It seems that getting a pipeline built across Canada, though, is even more impossible than getting one built into the United States. I think one of the reasons we were going that route was because it was hard to shoot one from east to west. We certainly know that out east, uh, the industry out east is dying for uh, Alberta oil to get there. And, and they've talked of situations about putting it in, in barges and sending it down through the Panama Canal and then back up the east coast just to get it there. So is there any appetite for pipelines in Canada, within Canada? Canada? Well, that's the other problem that we have. So, um, you know, in terms of majority support on other research we've seen, uh, it, yeah, people do support um, the uh, uh, the building of uh, Canadian pipelines, and we're seeing it again, obviously, in this in this survey. But there are significant parts of the population that do not. So, for example, in the province of Quebec, pipelines are a problem, and so building a pipeline over Quebec territory 
and it has become a, a you know a political issue in Quebec, and certainly wasn't the last election. Building a uh, a pipeline over Quebec territory is a problem. So if you can't uh, get public opinion on side there, it's very difficult to build a coast to coast a brand new pipeline. British Columbia, even though a majority of the people in British Columbia uh, support um, building a pipeline, uh, the problem that you've got is there is a significant majority or minority, sorry that are really opposed to it and are prepared to do something to prevent it. So uh, because we don't have a unanimity of, uh, of uh, opinion on this issue, because uh, it, all you have to do is not stop the entire pipeline, but just start stop part of it, and you only need a, a really motivated minority to, to do that, it's always going to be an issue. The unfortunate thing is we don't really ever see the alternative. And, and, you know, some think that this is flipping a switch, whereas many will say this is going to take anywhere from 20 to 50 years to transition. Um, but, but, you know, many may see that many may say that Quebec's kind of hypocritical on all of this. Uh, they don't want a pipeline through their territory because they're awash in, in very clean hydroelectricity. However, that doesn't do the prairies any help. Um, yet they're the first ones to scream when there's a CN rail strike and they're not getting their propane on time in the middle of winter. They're the same province that saw an absolutely devastating train wreck because of uh, crude oil being transported by rail. So um, doesn't this, do they not see the practicality of this in any way? Well, they don't necessarily see the benefit of having good Canadian export routes, uh, the benefits of that coming to them. So they don't feel a strong investment in the prosperity of Canada's oil and gas industry. They don't, they don't see, for example, what happens in terms of Canada's balance of payments as a result of having a successful oil and gas industry, even though, uh, you know, we know what happens in terms of equalization payments in the country. So it, it's, yeah, they they don't see it. They don't understand that there's a there's a direct benefit. But simply calling them hypocrites isn't going to get us anywhere either. I mean, not, not, no, 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 not at all. You're, you're doing that, but and the people who are on the opposition side of this. So you sit back and you know that the issue of global warming is a big issue for Canadians. Um, you know, uh, the idea that we need to do something about global warming is a big issue for Canadians. So we're caught in the middle of the need to have a, 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 a robust oil and gas industry, but also the need to deal with climate change. So somewhere in there is what the, where the compromise is, but at this point, nobody's been able to find it. Once again, as always, the solution is in the middle, not the extremes. Can we build a pipeline from coast to coast without Quebec? We can't. I mean, and at the end of the day, is that discussion fruitless? Um, I mean, there's just no option there. Yeah, and this is this is the issue that we're dealing with. So that's why, for example, Trans Mountain goes to the West Coast, and uh, they're, they're looking at export options there. But uh, you're quite correct. It's not like oil and gas isn't moving around the country. We're just doing it by rail, and we're doing it uh, doing it by truck. Is it a misnomer to think because we stop you because we're stopped building pipelines that we're going to curtail the energy industry? Like again, we still need this stuff. It's just the safest way to do it, the most efficient way to do it. Uh, well. Uh, at the moment, it depends on which economist that you talk to as yeah. to whether or not we actually need pipelines. Because I, you know, I, I see pretty strong arguments on both sides of this. But the truth is, if you don't have the infrastructure, so you have the choice, then you have no choice. So the the I think that's why the majority of the Canadian population actually does support having pipelines. By the way, also a majority of the population, even in the province of Quebec, means that we uh, also believes that we should be using Canadian oil and gas as opposed to importing it. 
So um, there, there's a, there's a conversation to be had to be had here. It's a very difficult conversation. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, uh, trade offs that are involved in the conversation, but uh, Canadians overall, so the majority of Canadians, not all of them, but the majority of Canadians are prepared to engage in that conversation. Just we haven't had anybody who's had the ability to lead it. Can we build a pipeline around Quebec, down into the States and back up? Or is that the same issue we have with Keystone? Yeah, that's that's a practical question, <laughs> the answer to. All right, where do you see this going? I mean, it, because if trends will, will dictate this, this is just going to continue, is it not? Well, you know, we've moved into a very interesting period in which, you know, climate change was a pretty big issue in the last federal election campaign. There's still, you know, people that are going to try and make it a big issue in the next election campaign. But there's other things that have, uh, you know, as they say, the uh, the urgent pushes out the important sometimes. So the next conversation we're going to be having about going into an election is managing a pandemic and then after that an economic recovery. Well, when it comes to economic recovery, Canadians want to see all hands on deck. That includes oil and gas. So it's a new opportunity for the oil and gas industry and people who advocate on behalf of oil and gas to be able to stand up and say, look, this is how we can contribute exactly to prosperity, because at that point, that's when the public's going to want to hear uh, what their options are. COVID-19 has exposed Canada's vulnerability and the fact that we just we aren't as self-sufficient as we once were. We don't make what we once did. Uh, What about the argument towards self-sufficiency for the energy industry? And this, I'm sure, is going to be something that we see play out. Even before the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, the public was pretty strongly supportive of using Canadian oil and gas before using anybody else's oil and gas. All right, Daryl Berker has been with us, CEO of Ipsos. Uh, a new Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global shows that uh, Canadians are giving up hope for the future of the Keystone XL pipeline. Daryl, thank you for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, a former Liberal MP. He is with us now. Dan, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am, and uh, as well for yourself, Scott. Uh, the interesting thing on this poll is uh, Canadians don't. Uh, Canadians are ready to give up on the Keystone Pipeline because of what it, the hoops it's had to jump through, but they're not ready to give give up on building pipelines from east to west. What's your take on all of this? I think Canadians are starting to understand there's a direct cost and relationship, not just to their bottom line, but also to energy security, uh, and I think they. Uh, well understand, I think, the very, by now, well-discussed reality that uh, Eastern Canada has become far too dependent on external sources for energy in a country that is arguably holds the third largest reserves in the world, a country that has a very good reputation compared to almost any other country in the world with managing the stewardship of that those energy resources. And, of course, if we can break our minds away from the idea that fossil fuels is a bad word, uh, and we think of a day like today, we're in the midst of this cold snap, uh, which is relatively mild compared to what they're seeing further north and out west. Uh, what we would do without natural gas and propane, one would have to think of the way it might have been in the 1600s when uh, people literally died as a result of uh, uh, you know, our exposure to the elements. So we've combated, we've beat, uh, and Canada is a country that could not possibly exist without fossil fuels. And for that reason, I think many Canadians are starting to really recognize the importance of affordable energy. And part of that is understanding that pipelines are necessary. Blocking them, of course, is you know serving one agenda, but certainly doesn't uh, 
serve the ultimate interests of the country. At the end of the day, I think most of us are also painfully aware that if we can't move our energy resources, which is our number one export out of this country, we're going to have a very serious problem combating a $1.2 trillion debt. And that doesn't include federal, uh, provincial unfunded liabilities and municipal debt that have had to be accumulated uh, during, before uh, the uh, the pandemic began. So I think for a lot of Canadians, perhaps a bit of reality is starting to set in. Uh, we certainly know that the Maritimes, uh, when they do their refining, they're getting their oil, dirty oil, from offshore, uh, where the regulations and, and human rights are a lot less than what they are here in Canada. Uh, we certainly know their demand for Western oil. We've heard situations where barges go down through the Panama, Panama Canal and yep. back up the coast just to get it there. So they obviously want it rather than importing oil from other people. That being said, Quebec is right in the middle of the country and have flatly stated, no pipeline coming through here. So is this all a moot point? I mean, how do you deal with Quebec when it comes to building a pipeline uh, from east to west or west to east? Well, in a perfect world, you'd stop equalization payments to Quebec and tell them they can't cash in $13.5 billion every year. Uh, that, of course, is not the Canadian way, but it's certainly not Canadian to say clean energy that they rely on, uh, because whether they like it or not, they're still getting Alberta oil via the number line nine pipeline, which has been reversed. And they're probably going to get a good taste of what it means not to have energy uh, when propane shipments could be cut off by Governor uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer if she gets her way and blocks uh, Line 5 Enbridge, which has you know, been around for, what, 68 years, providing us that which we take for granted. I think our political leaders tend to be far too sensitive uh, to what they perceive as a fringe group of people out there, you know, doing what they did. Uh, Mr. Trudeau, when during the Energy East Pipeline uh, hearings, allowed a group of people uh, to basically commit violence at one of the hearings, one of the first hearings. Uh, And rather than sending in the RCMP or uh, military officials to quell this, uh, you know, this this act of violence, the Prime Minister caved, turtled, and basically allowed uh, basically uh, individuals who use violence rather than the ballot to get their way. And so, okay, Quebec doesn't have to have it, but Ontario, uh, the rest of the country, has the ability to bring in the pipeline. It is currently built. It's called the Main Line Pipeline. It currently serves a lot of natural gas into our area, that it, which we're not importing from the United States. But I think there is an opportunity, um, regardless of being able to use territory well to the north, uh, perhaps Hudson Bay via Churchill. Uh, there are ways in which you can get around this. Uh, but at the end of all of this, there has to be a cost to those who don't want this and who resist this. And if I were Prime Minister, obviously I wouldn't win a seat in Quebec, despite the fact that I'm French-Canadian. I would have to say that uh, at the end of all of this, uh, uh, you know, you're going to lose some seats in Quebec, but you'll gain a lot more west. And, uh, you know, at the end of all of this, if Quebec doesn't want Canadian oil and pipelines, as the rest of the country does in the national interest, then it's time to stop cashing in $13.5 billion every year in equalization payments. Someone has to have the spine to come out and say that. I'm glad to say it, and I would have said it certainly as an MP, but of course that requires uh, you know, some intestinal fortitude, something that's very lacking in the federal government. It just seems bizarre to me because, you know, when there was a CN strike last winter, they were the first ones to complain that the propane wasn't getting delivered to them. And we certainly know the horrific accident which happened with a a train load of crude going through. Um, It it just seems very odd uh, considering how much the East Coast wants Alberta oil 
that we can't get it there. And instead of relying on being self-sufficient within our country, we're stuck selling it out the other end, out the West Coast, to whoever wants it. It just seems bizarre. Here yeah. in a time post-COVID-19 where we're complaining that we've become too, self- too reliant on other places, on other countries. Yeah, well, let's take the Maritimes, for example. Not only does it rely on and has done very well by its own oil production, which represents about 5% of the total country output, but a lot of people that I know, friends of mine from Newfoundland, have worked in the uh, in the oil fields in Alberta and have brought in significant revenues back to the province and built helped build that province in, in so doing. Let's not forget, of course, the Combi Chance Refinery, which I helped save in 1998-1999, which is now mothballed because, of course, they don't have the ability to bring in natural gas the way everyone else does as co-generation to produce more cheaper uh, fuel products, despite the fact that there's a massive need. And let's not forget, it's the same four maritime provinces, Atlantic provinces, who came together to push back on the federal government's wacky idea, not only of having a carbon tax, but adding a so-called dishonestly named clean fuel standard based on the work that we had done uh, with LFX Associates in terms of demonstrating that this would be extremely punitive, these carbon taxes, uh, to the to the least and most vulnerable of provinces, not to mention just the most vulnerable of people, as you're adding taxes to home heating fuel, the very thing that uh, uh, allows them to survive in very difficult winters. So I think, yes, Atlantic Canadians get it. The rest of Canada gets it. And if you speak to some people that I know in Quebec, and speak to them very frankly, as they're driving their Sierra 1500s or their whatever vehicles or using whatever kind of energy uh, to, to keep themselves warm and for transportation, they all get it, and I think it's only the political leadership in this country that doesn't have uh, really the ability to stand up and to allow uh, the broad community to speak for what's in Canada's interest, as opposed to a fringe group of left-wing greenies uh, whose only survivability is on the uh, really at the teat of taxpayers who subsidize their crazy ideas and their crazy views of the world. But such is the state of Canada today that the political powers are basically run by a small group of Laurentian green elites who frankly are completely disconnected uh, from reality, want the price of everything to go up because they want to impose their very harsh uh, antiquarian idea on the, on the rest of the country. Renewables cannot possibly generate the power needed to run our country. We know that because just, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes down the road from where you are in Hamilton, you've got the Adam Beck, you've got uh, a number of great hydro projects that have been around for over 100 years. These things were not, you know, created out of the idea that we had to suddenly, you know, bend over to climate change. What we've done is created green energy many, many, many generations ago. So let's give credit where credit's due. Canada is a leader when it comes to clean energy, not just with our fossil fuel industry, but hydro, our hydroelectric, and of course our nuclear. All those combined means let's stay on this road. Let's stop trying to be trendy and cute and bow to a small constituency of fringe people who at the end of the day, want the diminution of the population. They don't want people to succeed. They don't want growth. They want uh, reg- What they want to do is regress, regressive and to remove humanity and to, uh, I hate to say it, many of them are Malthusiasts. They want depopulation. When uh, the Prime Minister constantly and uses uh, uh, President Biden's slogan, Build Back Better, uh, he's inherited that, I guess. When will we see the jobs, the prior- uh, the prosperity, and, and all of that that Building Back Better brings us? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything. It does mean something for those who, like the Mark Carneys of this world, who uh, are really trying to push an agenda in which they're trying to tell financiers not to invest in fossil fuels or be subject to penalties. They create these very arbitrary goals in order to ensure that 
uh, you know, that, uh, you know, countries like Canada are far more uh, impacted by this attempt to say that, uh, as Mark Carney suggested yesterday, incredibly, uh, that the uh, climate change will kill more people than COVID-19 has done. What a ridiculous, over-the-top statement. But that's the kind of garbage that we constantly see from opinion leaders and self-appointed elites, usually out of the UN. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Remember, I worked in foreign affairs for this country. I represent this country abroad. I know the good of uh, and the importance of, of global objectives. But this is unvarnished nonsense, and it is designed to hobble and inhibit countries like Canada that have done extraordinarily well at bringing up everyone's standard of living. There was a time when we were the envy of the world. People wanted to come here. But how are they going to come here if there's no jobs, if there's no, uh, if, if it's a harsh climate? Do we want to go back to the 1600s where, you know, uh, mm. <laughs> uh, Voltaire used to refer to it as just a quelques bancs de neige et bancs de frio, or, you know, quelques arpents de neige, as we used to say. Is it just going to be a, a snow drift of a country, or do we want to actually make something of this and make this a place that is the envy of the world? I think it's time that we stop listening to these folks. And if we have governments that want to bend over backwards and bring in net zero, as we see with the Trudeau government, apparently, uh, Mr. Uh, O'Toole, all giddy about uh, falling in line, then it's time to find alternatives. And perhaps in the next election, vote out people who don't have the interests of the country at heart and who are quite willing to go along with this ideological nonsense, which has no basis in fact. Dan McTagg with us, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP. Dan, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well, and uh, thanks for all the insight. As always, much appreciated. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take care, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.